Welcome to the third episode of Anecdotes with Anne with me, Anne Rimmer. Eight years ago this month, I started my studies at the University of Oxford. I'd been assigned to St. Hilda's College, which at the time was the last all-women's college in Oxford. For the next three years, it was my home base. It was where I lived and ate and studied, and it was also a wonderful community that expanded my thinking and where I made lifelong friends. But when I graduated, I didn't really have a great sense of who St. Hilda's was or why two Victorian suffragists decided to name a college after her. This podcast was my attempt to answer that question. Hilda left no writings of her own. What we know, we know through St. Bede, an 8th century monk who wrote an expansive political and ecclesiastical history of England from the Roman invasion to his present day. While about 20 different nuns are mentioned in Bede, only two are really given biographies, one of which is Hilda. Bede's work is often criticized for being a mixture of legend and fact, and there are certainly elements of that in his writing about Hilda. But there's reason to believe that he would have had a pretty good understanding of who she was, as he was educated not far from where Hilda had served as abbess, not shortly after she had died. Hilda was born in 1614 during a period of great turmoil and change in England. England had been divided into several kingdoms with near perpetual conflict between them. It was also the time of the conversion from the traditional Catholic religion to Christianity, and the relationship between church and state were still being negotiated and were in evolution. Hilda herself was from Northumbria, which at the time was one of the most powerful of the kingdoms. She was born into political upheaval. Her father was the grandson of the King Eyal, but around the time of her birth, her family had been ousted from the throne and were in exile. Shortly around the time of her birth, her father was actually murdered. However, by the time she was a toddler, her great uncle, Edwin, had become king of the Northumbrians, and she, her mother, and her older sister lived as part of the royal family. Almost nothing is known about Hilda's early life, except for the fact that she was part of the mass conversion of the royal family in 627. Thirty years earlier, Rome had made a significant push to Christianize England, but had yet to spread to the north. When Edwin married Ethelburga, the daughter of the King of Kent, he committed to allowing her to continue to practice her Christian faith. Ethelburga brought with her to Northumbria Bishop Paulinus, who had been part of the original delegation from Rome. Paulinus convinced Edwin that it was within his best interests, politically as well as spiritually, to convert. And in Easter 627, the whole family was baptized. Hilda was 14. We don't know anything about the next 19 years of Hilda's life. We don't know if she married, if she had children, if she left Northumbria. What we do know is that at 33, she decided to leave all of her worldly possessions behind and enter a monastery with her sister. Many historians believe that this decision was precipitated by Hilda becoming a widow. This is based on the fact that at the time, women simply didn't remain single into adulthood, and also that Bede never refers to Hilda as a virgin, unlike the other nuns he writes about. Regardless of whether it was a spiritual awakening, the death of her husband, or a desire to be with her sister, at 33, Hilda decides to take vows, and she journeys to East Anglia, where her sister has married into the royal family, with a plan that they will take vows at the monastery of Chells in Gaul. However, before she could leave for Chells, she's asked to come back to Northumbria by the local bishop, Initially, Christianity had faced resistance from the local people, and Bishop Adrian had been brought in to try a new approach, focused on compassion and patience, and less on dogma. In Hilda, he probably saw someone who could support this work. She was well-connected to the royal family, pious, and one of the first converts in the region. Clearly, this approach also resonated with Hilda, as she agreed to take orders in Northumbria. Adrian arranged for her monastic training along the River Weir, and after a year, asked her to take over as abbess of Hartlepool Abbey. 
Hartapool had been founded by the first woman to take religious orders in Northumbria, but it struggled to really grow. The next big change in Hilda's life happened eight years later, when the current king of Northumbria, King Otswi, promised that if he was to win a crucial battle, he would donate land for 12 monasteries and commit his infant daughter to God. After successfully winning the battle, he entrusted his daughter, Elfayed, to Hilda to raise as a nun. Hilda was also responsible for founding one of the 12 new abbeys. Hers was in Whitby and would be praised for forsaking riches and splendor. It was a double monastery, meaning that it housed both men and women, who most likely worshipped and worked together. As abbess, Hilda was a rare example of a woman as a community leader, as she was in charge of making sure the monastery got built, but also the day-to-day -day life. Under Hilda, the Abbey of Whitby became a famous institution of education. Hilda required everyone, men and women, to know scripture, which doesn't sound like a big deal until you consider the really high illiteracy rates at the time. The prominence of Whitby as a center of learning is seen through the fact that no fewer than five men who studied at Whitby went on to become bishops in England. And Hilda was a teacher herself, instructing privately at the Abbey as well as publicly. And she made sure that the Abbey wasn't just a center of a theological thinking. When one of the goat herders for the Abbey started to recite poetry, Hilda encouraged it and educated him herself. Cademon would go on to be one of the first poets in Old English and provide us with some of the earliest examples of poetry in a Germanic language. She was also very involved in political affairs. Bede states that her advice was widely sought by both bishops and kings. And he said that through this advice, she was able to improve the lives of people far beyond the walls of her abbey. Her influence in politics is reflected in the choice of Whitby from the Synod of 644, which gathered religious and political leaders from across Northumbria and England. The issue was nominally on which day to hold Easter, but in fact was closely tied to the issues of political power of the time. One side was arguing that England should observe Easter as determined by the Vatican and Rome, while the other side argued they should continue to observe Easter on the same day as their traditional Celtic festival. The crux of the issue was, would churches in England remain fairly independent, pursuing their own traditions, or would they become increasingly controlled by Rome? Furthermore, the Synod also exposed fractures within the Northumbrian royal family, with the crown prince pushing for the Roman approach in open defiance against his father, who was in favor of the Celtic tradition. The influence of Hilda is reflected in the fact that her views on the subject were actually recorded by Bede, and she wished to remain within the Celtic tradition. Ultimately, in an effort to preserve peace within the royal family, the Roman approach was adopted. Hilda continued to be influential in church politics, and in 679, she, along with the Archbishop of Canterbury, sent representatives to Rome to protest against efforts of the local bishop to push for more centralization of English churches. Hilda died at the age of 66. Even in death, she was teaching, and she died talking, instructing her nuns. Whitby continued in prominence even after her death, which is probably the legacy she would have been most proud of. And Elphayed, the princess she had been trusted to raise, became a well-respected abbess herself. The crest of St. Hilda's College, Oxford, has an Annamite fossil on it. It's in reference to one of the more fanciful legends about St. Hilda. It was said that she could turn serpents into stone, which was a medieval attempt to understand the fossils that can be found on the cliffs near Whitby. The Annamite reminds students that every living thing in passing away should leave some work finished, something that which remains for beauty or for use. Having learned more about her, St. Hilda's really does embody that spirit to me. She was a community leader, an educator, a patron of the arts, negotiated peace, and thought about the great questions of theology. And she did all of it during a time in her life where she should have been a grandmother, in an era where she shouldn't really have had any power at all. 
I can't think of a better role model for young students embarking on their university studies. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. Big news in the world of anecdotes with Anne. We're now on iTunes! So I really recommend looking us up and subscribing to us. You can search anecdotes with Anne. It would make me so happy. Thanks so much for listening.